Orchestraville. Time now for spinning my dad's vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Baccarello. Thanks, sweetie. And thank you for tuning into episode 60 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. How fitting that this episode is number 60 because something very important happened 60 years ago today. Well, I might have just been a tiny bump in my mom's belly at the time, but the world had its eyes on the U.S. space race. So get ready for something literally out of this world in volume 60, Glenn in Orbit. At Cape Canaveral, the countdown is in progress for the attempt to send astronaut John Glenn around the world. Weather conditions and recovery areas are reported to be good. The only element of doubt is a heavy cloud cover reported by observers at Cape Canaveral itself. But officials of the National Space Agency are hoping for a break in the clouds that will permit the launch. Here's how Glenn feels about it all in a recent interview with NBC correspondent Frank McGee. Do you ever find yourself having some difficulty convincing yourself that it's really going to happen? Well, no, I don't. Uh, we have gotten and been able through uh, the period of time we've spent on the project to get quite a lot of uh, confidence uh, in the whole program. Uh, it's been a constant con- confidence-building program, really, in, in the equipment, uh, in the people we work with, in our own abilities to conduct the mission. I think all three of these fields really are are important uh, to each one of us that are involved in Mercury. Of course, you were excited about it when you first got in it. Are Very you still as so. excited about it as you e- were? Even more so. Really? Right. It doesn't uh, lose its luster or lose its taste? No, really? it's, it's uh, by far the most fascinating program I've ever taken part in. When you think of it, what do you think uh, is the major accomplishment that this might bring out? Well, I look at it myself as uh, the beginning, really, of, a, of an exploration. And we don't know. Uh, that's the reason we're exploring. You don't know what you'll run into on an exploration. I think it's an exploration into what the, the human, uh, into what the human body will run into in space, as to whether what the extent we can travel in space. It's also an exploration in the straight geographical sense. Uh, explorations are conducted really to see what you will run into. If we knew in advance, there wouldn't be any uh, point in making the exploration. Uh, you're going to be terribly busy on this flight. You're not going to have time for a lot of sightseeing, but are you holding on to some hope that you might have time to look about you up there? Well, we will, and in fact, on uh, the missions, we will plan periods when we will do nothing but observe outside to see what we can see, what the sky looks like, what the stars look like. Uh, Do they still twinkle, or are they a steady light when you get outside the atmosphere? There are quite a long list of things that we plan to observe outside the capsule as well as inside. Right now, John Glenn is just about sealed into the capsule, so let's go over live to NBC's Herb Kaplow at Pad 14. Sitting in Friendship 7 capsule, some 65 feet atop the Atlas Booster 109D. Still a question this morning as to whether the launch will be able to take place. 
Clouds are hovering over Cape Canaveral. Weather people in Mercury control watching carefully to see whether they will blow away at an appropriate time for a launch and an attempt for orbits. Merrill, I just noticed here we're at 63 minutes and counting, but word has just come in we expect to hold at T-minus 60 minutes due to a broken bolt in the hatch. The uh, permacord and the installation uh, around the hatch where it's being installed has now been removed from the spacecraft Friendship 7, and technicians will have to hold at T-minus 60 minutes here in order to repair this boat. Colonel Powers at spacecraft control. Holding. We have encountered difficulty with the liquid oxygen loading valve out in the launch pad area. We're at T-minus 22 minutes and holding. We estimate at this time an additional 10 to 15 minutes in the hold. This is Mercury Control. Now here's Colonel Powers at spacecraft control. Has just resumed. We are at T-minus 22 minutes and counting. The MA-6 launch countdown is proceeding. We are at T-minus 22 minutes and counting. This is Mercury Control. MA-6 launch countdown is at T-minus 6 minutes and 30... T-minus 6 minutes and 30 seconds. We have encountered a an electrical power failure in connection with our computers in Bermuda. The power has been restored. We estimate it will take us about five minutes to get the computer back into condition to support the mission. This is Mercury Control. The MA-6 launch countdown is at T-minus five minutes and counting. T-minus five minutes and counting. Mercury Control. That's the go decision. There's one more to come. T-minus four minutes, the Atlas and the spacecraft are now on internal power. The inverter switches are now operating the spacecraft. We are in the last stages of fueling. In a few moments, the vents on the top of the rocket will be closed, and the entire vehicle will be sealed at that point for its space flight. All the activity leading up to launch, or as I'm going to call it, countdown to the countdown. It was interesting to hear them talk about computers and the problems they were already having and how does a door bolt or on something that important just break. Also, the voices you will hear on this recording belong to Lieutenant Colonel John Glenn, Lieutenant Colonel John Powers in the Mercury Control Tower, and President John F. Kennedy. Okay, why this album for this episode? The fact that the timing of the 60th anniversary of this event on the day episode 60 of this show drops did have pretty much everything to do with it. But have you seen what's going on in the space race now? It's all about billionaires and their new toys sending celebrities to see the stars more up close and personal. Although William Shatner had some amazing words and some emotions when he returned. Then, after listening to this whole record, which, by the way, is about an hour long, I heard some really historic recordings, and I really wanted to share. Okay, even though you usually heard this every week on Casey's Top 40, I don't mean it this way this time. So let's get the countdown started. We should have some word from Colonel Powers. This is Mercury Control. The MA-6 launch countdown is T-minus one minute and counting. T-minus one minute and counting. All systems are reported in a go condition. John Glenn reports he is ready. This is Mercury Control. T-minus 45 and counting. All systems go. 
That's the word at this moment. All systems go. There will be a... T-minus 35. The main umbilical cord should drop. T-minus 30 this seconds. Mercury control. The MA-6 count. T-minus 30 and counting. T-minus 30 seconds and counting. This is the last human control. At any moment, the Vernier should light. General Dynamics Tom O'Malley starts these the damping motors. The Mercury spacecraft umbilical is out. We're at T-minus 19 seconds. 18 seconds, the firing button T minus has been 10 seconds and counting. 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, there 1, the ignition of the Vernier. 0, ignition, liftoff. Liftoff! The MA6 vehicle has lifted off. The MA6 vehicle has lifted off. Trajectory looks good. Approaching the speed of sound and maximum Q, the greatest strain the rocket speed can endure. One Altitude, 40,000 feet, speed over 1,200 miles an hour. Vibration here in the rocket is dampened out by those Vernier engines, the little side fellows that wiggle and waggle. We're smoothing out some now, getting out of the vibration area. Roger, you're through max Q. Flight path is very good. Pitch 4-3. Coming out real fine. Heaven pressure coming down, 5-7, okay, flight very smooth now. Altitude now, 75,000 feet, speed about 2,500. He's leaving the atmosphere and entering space. It looks clean. The Amps 2-5, cabin pressure holding at 5-8. Well, Roger, reading you loud and clear, 7. Cape is go, we're standing by for you. Roger, Cape is go and I am go. Our capsule is in good shape. Altitude 40 miles, speed 5,000 miles an hour. The two booster engines are due to cut at any moment. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Oh, that view is tremendous. And the vast majority of us will never experience that. But even 60 years later, knowing how it ends, it was still exciting to hear that launch. All right, let's learn about the record that I picked for this episode. It doesn't have an artist. It was just a recording of the broadcasting. Go, Colonel Glenn in Orbit. It's on the Crown Publishers Incorporated label, number OBC 101. It's a vinyl LP format, was released in 1962. Its genre is non-music. Its style is interview and education. Now, there is no cardboard cover for this album. It came in just the paper sleeve, and it goes on to say, an historic document in the sound of the first American orbit three times around the world, February 20th, 1962. You hear Lieutenant Colonel John H. Glenn Jr. in the Friendship 7 space capsule. 
Lieutenant Colonel John A. Powers in the Mercury Control Tower, other astronauts and correspondents stationed at observation posts throughout the world, and also President Kennedy's telephone conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Glenn and Lieutenant Colonel Glenn's address to Congress. Let's check out what uh, Discogs.com valued this album at. Lowest at a dollar, highest at $10, and a median at $2.52. It was last sold on Discogs.com on October 16th, 2020. Found a copy on eBay for $6. Amazon had one for $7, and the cover was in worse condition than my dad's. Speaking of my dad's record, the album itself is in good condition. It doesn't sound or look like my dad played this very much. I'm sure it was just a collector's item for him, although I did notice the beginning of both sides had a little bit more hiss than the end of each side. Now, the paper sleeve is in poor condition. It's all it's all that has ever protected it. All three closed edges all have slits from the wear. In fact, you can if you're watching the video, you can see that the album is poking through the bottom. Looks like some tape got stuck to the back and it has one of my dad's address labels on the front. But since I think this is a collector's item, I'll value my dad's copy at a buck. Okay, now let's get back to the Friendship 7 as it floats above the earth. He's on his space path now, his launch path toward orbit. The pitch angle is being adjusted now for that keyhole in the sky for orbit. This is Mercury Control. All indications here are that we will have, we will be able to confirm orbit within a matter of a couple of minutes. Confirming orbit means confirming an exact orbit. John can't miss an orbit now where he is. The only thing that can stop it is that it is either perfect or they're going to fire the retros and bring him down. But it sounds like it's perfect. He's right where he should be, right on the clock. This is Mercury Control. John Glenn in the Friendship 7 spacecraft is traveling at a velocity of 17,545 miles an hour and is in an orbit ranging from 100 miles at the perigee or low point to an altitude of 160 miles at its apogee or high point. The world waited and watched and prayed while Glenn began his first true orbital flight. Each orbit would be considered as a separate segment although space agency officials had made no secret of their hope that Glenn would be able to orbit the Earth the full three times. The first orbit would test Glenn's ability to function under the condition of weightlessness. It would also disclose any bugs in the operation of the spacecraft and test out the complex control system around the Earth. Here's how the actual first orbit went. Everything is go. John Glenn is in orbit. About 100 to 110 miles in space. By now, he must be higher. He's over the the western African coast. This is Mercury Control. While you were listening to the tape of John Glenn's uh, communications with the Capcom, Alan Shepard here in the control center, the Friendship 7 spacecraft has passed on its orbital track, has now passed over the Canaries, and is about to establish contact with our uh, tracking station at Kano in Africa. As it passed in the vicinity of the Canaries, John Glenn reported, I am very comfortable. All systems are okay. He reported that the horizon was a brilliant blue and that he had the canaries in sight out through his window. He also said he had a beautiful view of the African coast and that part of the canaries were obscured by clouds. 
The flight appears at this time to be proceeding as planned. The Friendship 7 is in orbit, passing in the vicinity of Kano, Africa at this time. This is Mercury Control. And you just heard his first couple of orbits. And I love how we still steer by the stars. Yes, I know he was in space and he needed to. You know what I mean. Let's learn about astronaut John Glenn. John Herschel Glenn Jr. was born on July 18, 1921. He was a United States Marine Corps aviator, engineer, astronaut, businessman, and politician. He was the third American in space and the first American to orbit the Earth, circling it three times in 1962. Following his retirement from NASA, he served from 1974 to 1999 as Democratic United States Senator from my home state of Ohio. In 1998, he flew into space again at age 77. Before joining NASA, Glenn was a distinguished fighter pilot in World War II, China, and Korea. He shot down three MiG-15s and was awarded six Distinguished Flying Crosses and 18 Air Medals. In 1957, he made the first supersonic transcontinental flight across the United States. His onboard camera took the first continuous panoramic photograph of the United States. He was one of the Mercury 7 military test pilots selected in 1959 by NASA as the nation's first astronauts. On February 20, 1962, Glenn flew the Friendship 7 mission, becoming the first American to orbit the Earth, the third American and fifth person in history to be in space. He received the NASA Distinguished Service Medal in 1962, the Congressional Space Medal of Honor in 1978, was inducted into the U.S. Astronaut Hall of Fame in 1990, and received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2012. During Glenn's training, NASA psychologists determined that he was the astronaut best suited 
for public life. And <laughs> look how that turned out for him. Glenn resigned from NASA in January 1964. Glenn was first elected to the Senate in 1974 and served for 24 years until January 1999. One year before that, at age 77, Glenn flew on Space Shuttle Discovery's STS-95 mission, making him the oldest person to enter Earth orbit and the only person to fly in both the Mercury and the space shuttle programs. Glenn, both the oldest and the last surviving member of the Mercury 7, died at the age of 95 on December 8, 2016. Now, let's go back up for more of Colonel Glenn in orbit, starting with a great explanation of how NASA was guiding the ship. If you can imagine for a moment firing a bullet, the bullet will leave the barrel of a rifle and follow out the course that the power has given it. In other words, it'll fly on a straight line and then gradually gravity will pull it down. That bullet, if you could control it, could be raised or lowered. In other words, as it moved forward, you could point the nose up or you could point the nose down. Or you could point it to the left or to the right without changing the trajectory. If you were really clever, you could turn it all around and still the trajectory would remain the same. Well, John Glenn has been pointing the nose up, down, left, and right. He is flying his bullet. This controls problem that John Glenn is having in space is multiplying. It is not improving. This was expected, however, on the dark and colder side of the Earth. The heat of the sun, and he's now between Hawaii and the west coast of the United States on the clock. That's roughly where he should be. The heat of the sun may improve his control. But in any case, they're going to have to decide pretty soon whether to end this flight right now in second orbit or let him try for three. This is Mercury Control. Our tracking station on Canton Island reports contact with the Friendship 7 spacecraft at 12.31 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And our station on Hawaii reports contact at 12.39 Eastern Standard Time. We are continuing to analyze the difficulties with the attitude control system. The fact that the pilot is aboard and has the ability to analyze his problem and take judgmental corrective action is a demonstration of the value of man in space flight. We will continue to analyze the progress of the flight and make our decisions timely enough to make sure that we fire the mission as best as possible. Our Mercury tracking station at Moucher, Australia, at 1.43 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Astronaut John Glenn is now in voice contact with astronaut Gordon Cooper at the tracking station. Just a couple of minutes ago, John called up Gordon Cooper and said, Hey, Gordon, I want you to send a message for me. Send a message to the Commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps that reads, Have four hours required flight time. Request flight chip be prepared for me. Signed, John Glenn, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Marine Corps. What is your opinion on the uh, general problem, John? Well, I don't know. I want to start lining up just as carefully as I can here in a minute and see whether the uh, uh, scanners will pick it up and correct it in so we have a good uh, retrofire attitude. If not, I'll line up myself. Did you have your uh, three-dog easy no-tail time from Indian Ocean ship? Uh, yes, I did. I got those. Okay. Uh, then I gave you a recommend change retro plot to 043237. 
from Australia toward Hawaii, we detected an indication of a problem with the heat shield deployment switch. A check was made over Hawaii, which confirmed that the system was operating properly and that the signal apparently was erroneous. He is also completing now his retrofiring checklist. And this is a process by which he makes sure that all of his onboard equipment is secured, that uh, he has checked out his attitude control system, that he is in good condition and preparing to fire those retro rockets to begin that long landing flight toward this deep, the Atlantic. And there's the second part of him in orbit. Now, there's a small part in there that I didn't play because it was buried in some other boring stuff and it was only for a couple of seconds. He reported an unusual sighting of thousands of luminous particles around the capsule over the Pacific right at sunrise. You could hear the wonder in his voice when he was describing that. Now, they kind of brushed over the sensor problem. It sounds like it might have been way more serious at the time, and that will be the topic for this episode's interesting side note. John Glenn's flight wasn't without scary moments, as History.com explained. During a second orbit, Mission Control noticed a sensor was issuing a warning that Friendship 7's heat shield and landing bag were not secure, putting the mission and Glenn in danger. Officials did not immediately inform Glenn of the potential problem, instead asking him to run a series of small tests on the system to see if that resolved the issue, which eventually clued Glenn into their concerns. After a series of discussions, it was decided that rather than following a standard procedures to discard the retro rocket, that's an engine designed to slow down the capsule upon reentry, Glenn would keep the rocket in place to help secure the heat shield. In fact, spoiler alert, <laughs> all was well. Glenn successfully re-entered the Earth's atmosphere and splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean. Ships, helicopters, and frogmen successfully recovered him 800 miles southeast of Bermuda. Later, when engineers inspected the recovered capsule, they found that the heat shield was fine. A faulty sensor had detected a problem that didn't exist. Now, let's hear what happened at the end of the flight. So, put your trays back up and your seat's back in an upright position. I'll give you some idea of where we are and what is going to happen. The Orbit 3 ballpark is a rectangle of the Caribbean that is about 200 miles long and 50 miles wide, slanting slightly southeastward above the coastlines of the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, about 150 to 200 miles north of those two islands. The carrier Randolph is located about in the center of this rectangle. About 40 miles on the floor at the side of the carrier is the destroyer Stripling, and to the east of the command ship is the destroyer Noah. When Colonel Glenn's capsule splashes in, all three of these ships will race to be first on the spot. The basic plan calls for one of the destroyers to pick up the capsule after the astronaut leaves it and is picked up by helicopter. We'll start the firing sequence on a corrected clock, the firing sequence of the retro rockets, which must slow down the space capsule so that gravity grabs it and pulls it back into your landing area 1,000 miles southeast of us here at Cape Canaveral. And the first retro rocket should have been fired. 10 seconds apart. Glenn should have fired his second retro rocket at this moment. These are small rockets in the base or the face of the capsule as, as it's flying but they have tremendous effect and kick up there in space. 
We have to switch immediately to Colonel Powers at Spacecraft Control. This is Mercury Control. Our California station has made contact with the Friendship 7 spacecraft at 2.18 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. At 2.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the retro-rocket firing sequence was initiated in the spacecraft. Retro-firing attitude was assumed, and the three retro-rockets have fired. They've been confirmed by the pilot and by our telemetry here in the Mercury Control Center. John Glenn's comment was it felt like he was going to send him clear back to Hawaii. The retro-rockets have fired. The re-entry process will be initiated shortly. This is Mercury Control. The next maneuver for the Friendship 7 is to point its blunt end of the bell-shaped spacecraft toward the Earth on the proper trajectory for re-entry. Now, if you recall, it was tilted slightly upward at, re at retro fire. This will be the spacecraft's re-entry position so that the astronaut will have his back against the forces of re-entry, traveling backwards for the G-forces and the heat of the atmosphere. He reported the three retro kicks as being twi quite tremendous. This is the most critical and uh, part of the entire flight at this moment coming up. That uh, retro package has to be jettisoned before he comes into the atmosphere, too deep in the atmosphere, because it has to be off the capsule before he hits the Atlantic. This is true, before he can drop his blunt end, uh, hit the blanket of atmosphere about 50 miles high. And he'll be slowing down quite a bit before then, but he's got to have that blunt end to take that 3,000 degrees temperature. This is Mercury Control. The Friendship 7 spacecraft is approaching the coast of Florida at this time during his re-entry process. The NOAA does have the capsule in sight and is on its way. The NOAA is equipped to pick up the capsule at sea and underway if necessary. And if they recover Colonel Glenn, you'll give us a welcome he's never had before. The competition on this force, as you know, has been terrific, and particularly as these... John Glenn's capsule must be in the water by now, but NOAA is on its way. There must be aircraft overhead, and those helicopters will go off regardless, because the helicopters... It develops that there is a race between the helicopters to get to Colonel Glenn and the destroyer Noah. If the helicopters get there first, the it means Randolph, Red. If necessary, they might throw ketchup bottles at the choppers. They want, they want me to have the honor to make this historic rescue. This is Cape Canaveral. USS Noah indicates it is closing into the immediate vicinity of the spacecraft. We anticipate pickup shortly. This is Mercury Control. This is Mercury Control. The reports from the USS NOAA indicate the Friendship 7 spacecraft was picked up clear of the water at one minute after three and finally set down on the deck at four minutes after three this afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. John Glenn reports, my condition is excellent. They're in the process now of opening up the spacecraft to remove John Glenn from the spacecraft. This is Mercury Control. The spacecraft has been set on the deck of the USS NOAA. This is Mercury Control. A report from the USS NOAA downrange indicates Mercury astronaut John Glenn has left the Friendship 7 spacecraft. He is reported to be a hale and hearty astronaut after having successfully flown the United States' first manned orbital flight. And that was the exciting race to be the first to get to Glenn once he landed in the ocean. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. This was some real history. The orbits and what NASA had accomplished was a huge stepping stone to reaching the moon seven years later. And after listening to this record a couple of times, I was able to put myself into the place of radio listeners and feel like history was taking place all over again as I listened. Now, I never got to meet John Glenn, but I do have a connection to the NASA Space Center in Cleveland named after him. Back in the mid-1980s, when I was grabbing all the voiceover work I could, my voice was heard on the lobby welcome video for about a decade. <laughs> I also want to point out a couple of great articles I read but did not use in this episode script. One from the New York Times published the day after Glenn made his orbits, and one that was actually supposed to publish today on the 60th anniversary, but was accidentally published several weeks ago. I will drop those links into the liner notes. Lots of extra detail in those stories. All right, once back on Earth, Glenn received a call from President Kennedy. Then days later, he spoke to Congress. Along with many millions of his fellow countrymen, President John Kennedy today watched and listened to the radio TV coverage of Colonel Glenn's spaceflight. After seeing Colonel Glenn's parents on television, President Kennedy picked up the White House telephone and talked directly to astronaut Glenn, today's national hero, who had stepped on the deck of the destroyer Noah just minutes before. Uh, hello, sir. Colonel? We're really uh, proud of you, and uh, I must say you did a wonderful job. Much, Mr. President. Well, we're glad you get down in uh, very good shape. I was just watching your father and mother on television, and they seemed in, uh, very happy. Well, it was a wonderful trip. It's almost unbelievable to think back on it right now, but it was really tremendous. Well, we're going to, uh, uh, we'll see you over at, uh, I'm going to come down to Canaveral on Friday, and then uh, hope you come up to Washington on Monday or Tuesday, and I'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, fine, I'll certainly look forward to it. And now we have Colonel John Glenn addressing the Congress of the United States. The flight of Friendship 7 on the 20th of February certainly involved more than one man just in a spacecraft in orbit. I can think of many people that were involved in this, but I can think of none more than just a few sitting in the front row right up here. I'd like to have them stand up. If my parents would stand up, please, my dad and mother. My wife's mother is there. I don't believe Dr. Castor is there right now, but I've... Mrs. Castor. I guess Dr. Castor is up there in the third row up, uh, I'm told here. There he is. My son and daughter, Dave and Lynn. And the real rock in our family, my wife, Annie. I'm real proud of her. There are many more people, of course, involved in, in our, our flight in Friendship 7. Many more things involved, too, as well as the people. There was the vision, of course, of Congress that established this national program of space exploration. Beyond that, many thousands of people were involved. Civilian contractors and subcontractors in many different fields, many elements, civilian, civil service, and military, all blending their efforts toward a common goal. To even attempt to give proper credit to all the individuals on this team effort would be impossible. 
But let me say that I have never seen a more sincere, dedicated, and hardworking group of people in my life. Beyond that, we look forward at the moment to Project Gemini, a two-man orbital vehicle with greatly increased capability for advanced experiments. There will be additional rendezvous experiments in space, technical and scientific observations, then Apollo orbital, circumlunar, and finally, lunar landing flights. What did we learn from Friendship 7 flight that will help us attain these objectives? Some specific items have already been covered briefly in the news reports. And I think it is of more than passing interest to all of us that information attained from these flights is readily available to all nations of the world. The launch itself was conducted openly and with the news media representatives from around the world in attendance. Complete information on our project is released as it is evaluated and validated. This is certainly in sharp contrast with similar programs conducted elsewhere in the world and elevates the peaceful intent of our program. In addition to closely monitoring onboard systems, we were able to make numerous outside observations. The view from that altitude defies description. I had listened earlier to Al and Gus both describe this and was eagerly looking forward to it, and in their wildest use of adjectives, they didn't describe what it's like even, nor can I describe it. The horizon colors are brilliant, and the sunsets are very spectacular. And it's hard to be today in which you're permitted the luxury of seeing four sunsets. <laughs> I think after all of our talk about space, though, this morning coming up from Florida on the plane with President Kennedy. We had the opportunity to meet Mrs. Kennedy and Caroline before we took off. I think Caroline really cut us down to size and put us back in our proper position, though, when after being introduced, she looked up and said, where's the monkey? and I didn't get a banana pellet on the whole ride. <laughs> now that was only portions of his speech to Congress. Lots of applause and he introduced a lot of people in that speech. But I love how he almost immediately recognized his family, especially his wife, who, by the way, only passed away less than two years ago at the age of 100. And there you have selections from the radio broadcast of a historical day. So thanks for tuning into Volume 60, Glenn in Orbit, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for a 78 RPM Sunday with Volume 61, Frankie's Girlfriends. Until then, go with the flow, my friends.